There's a lot that's going on in our society today that is uh, causing division and causing anger and causing um, folks to become very upset and angry with each other. And when we think about who we are, we have to think about what our role is in this society. And we've heard the term throughout all our life and through, you know, I'm sure our parents and our grandparents have even heard this term because they started to use it when, after Jesus rose from the dead. The people who believed in Jesus were called Christians. And the term Christian really means little Christs. So we have to think about ourselves in, in those terms. Are we a little Christ? And what did Christ do? What was Christ's most notable ministry that he did on earth? We could look at it in terms of how the secular world saw him. He was the man who provided food for those who were hungry at that Sermon on the Mount. We could look at Jesus and say that he, wherever he would go, people would call out to him because he had a reputation that, that preceded him about healing. And he would physically heal people, something they could see. And when we look at how Jesus lived his life, he lived his life always giving something giving something because he was asked to by his father. But he gave it in terms of how he showed love to other, other people as he traveled. And most especially those people who were not in his, his immediate group. He took his immediate group and he, and he talked with them and he tried to get them to understand who he was and why he did the things that he did because he was put here by his father. But even those folks had a problem with Jesus lots of times because they, the way that he talked and the way that he expressed things about his Father, especially things of the Spirit. So when we look at how Jesus lived his life in terms of what he gave to other people, the ultimate goal of what he tried to show us is forgiveness. What is forgiveness? We could say, we could do some analysis of what really truly forgiveness is. Forgiveness is a pardon. Forgiveness is a gift. Forgiveness is how we uh, reconcile ourselves with other people. But forgiveness comes from God. And if we're entrusted to be little Christs, how did Jesus forgive? if we look at his example. So let's look at Matthew chapter 18. And we have to understand how this is recorded in Matthew. Matthew, by um, his earthly vocation, was a tax collector. And so he kept track of things. He was able to put things in an order, if you will. And so he talked about Jesus in terms of order. 
And what was Jesus doing here? And in uh, Matthew, in, a, in quite a few of the chapters, Matthew talks about forgiveness. He records Jesus doing a lot of things, but those things that Jesus did in that regard were about forgiving other people or being kind to other people through your benevolence, which is, which is part of forgiveness. So let's look at uh, chapter 18, and we'll start with verse 15. Now this is where Jesus is teaching about forgiveness. If your brother sins against you, go and rebuke him in private. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. But if you won't listen, take one or two more with you, so that by the testimony of two or three witnesses, every fact may be established. If he pays attention to you, to them, tell the church. But if he doesn't pay attention even to the church, let him be like an unbeliever. Well, let's stop there for a minute. He says unbeliever. But in the next phrase in my Bible to end the verse, it says, and a tax collector to you. Matthew's talking about himself. He had a hard time when people didn't pay their taxes. So he was talking about things in a human way. But he's looking at the way Jesus has put this out, and he said, let him be like an unbeliever and a tax collector to you. I assure you that whatever you bind on earth is already bound in heaven, and whatever is loose on earth is already loosed in heaven. Again, I assure you that if two of you on earth agree with any matter that you pray for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am among them. So he's talking basically about, about the mechanics of forgiveness. He's talking about how we go about forgiving one another. And he knows that uh, people won't be able to get a hold of this uh, just by the way that he's talking about it because uh, he's talking a little bit deep for them because the ways of Jesus is like the ways of God are higher than our thoughts and deeper than our thoughts. So we can't comprehend this. But what does he mean here? He's talking about, let's look at verse 18 again. I assure you, whatever you bind on earth is already bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth is already loosed in heaven. Okay, so we see this, and we understand this, and I think we've heard this throughout our walk in Christianity probably a number of times, and explained in a number of different ways. We can look at it in terms of self-righteousness. We can look at it in terms of grace. But Jesus goes on in the following paragraph, starting with verse 21. Peter starts asking him questions. Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how many times would, could my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Now we have to think about this in terms of how the pharisaical law went. The pharisaical law said that if you forgive somebody three times, that was an enormous, enormous task on your part. If somebody sinned against you the same sin three times, 
it would be very, very difficult. And the, and the Pharisees agreed with this. So if you look at the statement that Peter was talking about here, what does he say? Lord, how many times could, I, could my brother sin against me and I forgive him as many as seven times? Look at how benevolent Peter's trying to be here. He's trying to be thinking that, wow, I am really, really giving a lot of grace here. And how does Jesus respond? Jesus responds, I tell you, not as many as seven, Jesus said to him, but 70 times seven. I remember when I was a kid and I had a paper route and I went to uh, a, a store, a, a kind of a party store to bring a paper every night. And the people that owned this store were very kind to me. Well, I, I suppose I was a skinny runt of a kid and they, they thought, you know, this little kid's bringing me the paper. And this woman that was there, it was a husband and wife owned the store, she always would start to visit with me and ask me about school and ask me about other things. And on one particular evening, it was a winter evening, and she was talking about it being cold. She said, just come in and warm up a little bit before you go home. So we came in and she started talking to me and asking me about my family and asking me about, did I go to church? And so then I explained to her that we went to a church that believed in the forgiveness of sins and that we had, uh, this opportunity to worship together and everything. And she says, well, how many times does it say in your church that you can forgive somebody if they sin against you? And she too was trying to be benevolent in her thinking. And I said, well, you know, uh, the Bible says that, uh, I'm just having to remember that off the top of my head. I said, the Bible says that um, when Peter asked him, should I forgive him? three times or should I give him seven times or how many times should I give him? And, I, and she said, well, how many times is that? And I said, well, Jesus says 70 times seven. And she said, uh, wow, that's a lot of times, isn't it? And I said, but yeah, but Jesus doesn't say you have to forgive him 70 times seven in, in a day, in an hour. What Jesus is talking about here is untold amount of forgiveness. There's no number. He doesn't give a time limit. Because we have to remember that God and Jesus are outside of time. They were, during creation, already aware that Jesus was going to suffer and die and forgive all of our sins. So... Jesus, when he tells that to Peter, Peter probably went, you know, he probably see his eyes get big and say, oh my goodness, that's a lot of forgiveness. So then Jesus goes on to tell him a story, a parable. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a man who wanted to settle accounts with his slaves. When he began to settle the accounts, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought before him. What is a talent? A talent in those days was one talent was worth 20 years salary. So if we were to put that in modern terms, you know, what, what would, could you make a year? If we made $50,000 a year times 20, it's a million dollars. 
if we owed someone 10,000 talents, probably an unpayable debt, correct? So he was brought before him, and since he had no way to pay it back, his master commanded that he and his wife and children and everything he had be sold and, and uh, to pay the debt, knowing he wouldn't get even close to maybe one year's salary. Since he had no way to pay. At this, verse 26, at this the slave fell face down before him and said, be patient with me, and I will pay you everything. Then the master of the slave had compassion on him and released him and forgave him his loan. He gave him a billion dollars. What would you do if somebody forgave you a debt of a billion dollars, if you had that heavy weighing on you? You'd be joyful, be happy, be ecstatic, I would think. But to use another illustration, just think about this. When Jesus bled on the cross, he gave you that 10,000 talents. He, relieved, he re relieved a debt from you of your sins, an unpayable amount. When I think about this, I think, how can that be? Because I don't have the eyes that Jesus would have. I have a little tiny, minuscule point of observation about how great this grace is. But think about it. An unpayable forgiveness that we get. But let's look at 28. What happens to this servant? Servant. But that slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. Now a denarii is worth like what we would say ten dollars. So he owed him a hundred dollars. And what does he do? He grabbed him, started choking him, and said, pay what you owe. At this, his fellow slave fell down and began begging him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. Same words as he used, as the one who was choking him used to his master. Be patient, I'll pay you back. Verse 30 says, but he wasn't willing. On the contrary, he went and threw him into prison until he could pay what he owed. When the other slaves saw what had taken place, they were deeply distressed and went and reported to their master everything that had happened. Unfairness. So we could look at this in terms of how we are forgiving others. So this is, goes to the statement, really, that we owe others forgiveness even though they don't deserve it. There are a lot of people who sin against us and we don't then they don't deserve our forgiveness. But what kind of eyes are we using when we look at these people? How are we viewing them in terms of our salvation? 
because Jesus gave us a billion and we can't even give them a hundred. When the other slaves saw what had taken place, they were deeply distressed and went and reported to their master everything that had happened. So they go and tell what he did to this slave who owed him $100. Then after he had summoned him, his master said to him, you wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. So you wouldn't also have mercy on your fellow slave as I have mercy, as I have mercy on you. And the master got angry and handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay everything that he owed. Verse 35 is the key thing here. So my heavenly father will also do to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from what? What does your Bible say? The trespasses. The trespasses. From his heart, from your heart. Because Jesus forgave from the heart, right? So if we have, as what he's showing here is so that if we have lack of forgiveness, we have broken our fellowship with God. The other thing that we can go back and look at this story and say, we owe others forgiveness even though they don't ask for it. If we carry around and let that, whatever it is, situation, sin, eat us up, that's what it's saying here. So really, forgiveness, if we look at even the way Jesus was put on the cross, that was a crisis. That was a situation that there was some dire consequence coming out of. But Jesus, when he gives himself up for that sin, he starts a process. He starts a process of, of working towards heaven, absolution, absolving of, forgiveness of, when we, when we create this memory that the devil would put back in our mind, we, we go back to the crisis. We go back to the time when we were sinned against and it hurt us and it made us angry and it made us feel like we needed to do some sort of retributive action. Revenge. And even in that, God says even in the Old Testament, vengeance is mine. Why is that true? Because vengeance is going to take place during the judgment. But if we look at the way that these people, these two men were, were in this parable, were talked about, the master is always God or Jesus. The slave is the servant of the master. The slave treats another servant or slave in a human way. Where God treats us 
in a spiritual, heavenly way. That's the difference, the biggest difference. And the biggest difference is trying to sort that out. So that's why we have, we have a problem or a crisis, and then we have the process of working through whatever it is to forget. Now, people can hurt you some so deeply that maybe you, you can't think about even forgiving them. So what does he say? What does he tell Peter? He says, let's go back to verse 18. I assure you, whatever you bind on earth is already bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth is already loosed in heaven. The sin has already happened. Is there forgiveness for the sin? If not, it's bound. But if the sin has already happened, God knows about the sin, so he's already aware that the sin has taken place. If we let that burden stay with us, we think we are in control of whether that person goes to hell or whether they have the option to have forgiveness of sins and believe it forgiven. Who's the unforgiving one here? If we look at the way that in Mark chapter 15, where it talks about the prodigal, and I've talked about that a lot, but look at the way that the following part of the story goes. When the prodigal son comes back, his father runs out to greet him, and he forgives him, and he brings him home, and they have a celebration. But his brother comes and says, Whoa, wait a minute here, what's going on? I never left. I never took your money and spent it on prostitutes. I never did anything like he did, and yet you throw a party for him and not me. Self-righteousness, unforgiveness. That guy needs to go through the process, doesn't he? He needs to understand that no matter who we are, no matter how righteous we think we are, we are far from the gates of heaven. And the only way that we're going to get to the gate of heaven is with this benevolent forgiveness of 10,000 talents. 200,000 years or salaries. 20-year salary times 10,000. 200,000. Unbelievable. So... If we look at, so what are the consequences of not forgiving? Who carries the sin then? Here we see what happens to the man who doesn't forgive his fellow slave. He gets thrown into prison and he's there forever. So let's turn this picture to the story of judgment. When we've already had our sins forgiven and we get to the gate and we get into the point where we're being judged, what happens to us? It's like the way Jesus said, when think people come up to the gate and they say, well, when you were sick, I, I came to see you, I brought you food, I... I I helped you clothe your children when they were out of, out of clothes, when you were out of work, and we helped you out. 
And Jesus would say, but I don't know who you are. You help them. But you did it for yourself. It's what you do for those others that is, is in your benevolence and in your grace that actually endears you to the Father. So in chapter 16, he basically says the same thing. When he talks about it in verse 8. I'm sorry, let's go back to verse 6. Then Jesus said to them, Watch out and be aware of the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And they discussed among themselves, We didn't bring any bread. Jesus, aware of this, says, You of little faith, why are you discussing amongst yourself that you didn't have bread or that you do not have bread? Don't you remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many baskets you collected? Or the seven loaves for the 4,000 and how many large baskets you collected? Why is it you don't understand that when I told you, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees, it wasn't about bread? Self-righteousness. But self-righteousness can be forgiven. We need to come to the realization that we are holding judgment against a person unfairly. We're holding judgment against another person because we don't want to forgive them. But the same way that Jesus talks about it being bound on earth because the sin has already taken place, so it is when we start to realize that we need something. We get into this crisis process where we need something and we need, it, we need forgiveness. And then we have to go through understanding that whatever forgiveness we're given, we're going to give that out to other people. So, let's be careful. Because in the same way that God forgives our sins, he gives us the ability to forgive others. And that's what we need to do. And that's how we need to work through our life. Will there be people who cause us injury and sin against us and take advantage of us, steal from us, lie about us, even to the point of trying to kill us? But if they take our life, what have they taken from us? Breath? What do we gain when we leave this life? Heaven! That's where we want to go. That's where we want to focus. That's where we want to put our, our concentration, our, our thought process. So forgive those who trespass against you. As he forgives us our trespasses. We say that prayer every time we're together, sometimes twice. But do we ever stop to think about what each one of those little phrases mean? They're a sermon in themselves. They're a grace-filled sermon. Our Father, we worship God, who art in heaven. That's his place. Hallowed. We worship your name, God, because you have done everything for us. Your kingdom has come because Jesus has been here. 
Your will be done because Jesus has done your will. And we have this here that we need to focus on and take care of. Where has the will done? It's done everywhere, on earth and in heaven. And then we ask that he feeds us. He gives us sustenance. But not only with the daily bread, but with the spiritual bread that he gives us through reading his word and studying his word and hearing about the word of God. So today, as we come to the table to take the sacraments where Jesus' body was given and his blood was given in terms of the bread and the wine. This is what Jesus is demonstrating to us. Total and complete and unmerited grace and forgiveness. And if you believe this and you want this, it's yours. All you have to do is ask him. All you have to do is come to him and know that things are taken care of and they're taken care of forever. In Jesus' name, amen.